Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? And that was awesome. That was like in unison. It was perfect. It sounded like one voice. It was amazing. It's like a little glimpse of heaven right there. You got your Bible. You got a smart device. Um, why don't you turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament? We're going to land in um, the second book, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 5. We call those first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, because gospel means good news. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are specifically good news because they tell us the story of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at one of those today here in just a minute, Mark chapter 5. But today, uh, before we get there, we are in part three of a series called Different, where we're taking a look at the eight core values of our church. It takes a cue from a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which serves as the theme verse for this series, where Paul writes this. He says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, the reason that we have these core values is because they, they are the things that differentiate us from the rest of the world. And so we decided these are the values that we are going to allow to shape our behavior and how we operate as a church. Because the truth is, if, if we want to make a difference, we have to first be different. And so that's what our core values are all about. And back in part one, um, I talked about our value, Jesus is our message. And that value in particular is foundational to the way that we choose to live our lives. And then last week in part two, Pastor Trevor brought an incredible message taking a look at the story of the Good Samaritan about our value, people are our mission. And, and he, he posed this this thought or this concept is that if Jesus is our message, then that will have an impact on the way that we conduct ourselves in every other aspect of our lives, that the rest of our seven values are, are part of a spillover from that first value of Jesus is our message. And so I want to continue that today by talking about our third core value, which is honor is our calling. Honor is our calling. And so to begin, we're going to define the word honor, and it means to show great respect or to revere, to worship, glorify, or serve, particularly when we're talking about in reference or regard to a deity, or to show courteous regard for. When, when I think of honor, I often think of um, the medal of honor. Many of you have probably heard about that. Um, those of you especially that are in the military, the, the Medal of Honor is the United States Armed Forces' highest military decoration. And it's awarded to recognize American soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, guardians, and Coast Guardsmen who have distinguished themselves by unique and specific acts of valor. And although it's not required by law or required by military regulation of all the military services, members of the uniformed services are encouraged to render salutes to recipients of the Medal of Honor as a matter of respect and courtesy, regardless of rank or status. 
whether or not they're in uniform. In fact, this is one of the, the few instances where a living member of the military will receive salutes from members of a higher rank. And, and this kind of, kind of helps us to understand what this concept of honor is all about. It, it helps us to see what we do with the things that we honor. Because at every turn, one of the key components of honor is that honor elevates. Honor elevates. It, it lifts up. It builds up. And, and when you think about it, like if you were given a special medal or a trophy or, or something of value like that, you, you would put it on, on a shelf to display it, right? You would want people to see it. You would want to see it yourself as, as a reminder of the award that had been given to you. Like think about like a, a prized possession that you have. You didn't dig a hole and bury it in the ground. No, you, you put it out so that, that you could see it and so that others could see it and so that you could celebrate that thing. Maybe it's a, a piece of art that you have displayed somewhere or maybe it's a very rare baseball card that's worth a lot of money that you have out on display, or perhaps it's like an artifact in a, in a museum. You know, they, they, don't, they don't hide those things. They, they, they show them honor by, by displaying them with a lot of great lighting, and they put them in glass cases to protect them, but so others can, can see the beauty and experience the artifact as well. Or, or maybe it's something as simple as like pictures of your kids or your family. Like, you're not hiding those. You're, you're putting them on the wall or on the refrigerator or on your phone. You want people to see them. You want to see them. And we can go on and on and on about all of the things that we choose to honor. And in every turn, it's something that we elevate. It's something that we put in a specific place. And, and if we're honest this morning, every single person in this room, we all desire to be honored. We all want that. We, we all like to be honored because whenever we're honored, it feels really, really good when someone honors you. But, but the tension, as, as we're going to find out over the course of this message, is, is that honor, it's never something that we can choose to bestow on ourselves. It's never something that we can claim for ourselves. It's always, honor is something that always has to be given. And, and the Bible gives us some directives in how and to whom we are to show honor. And, and that starts with a passage like 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, that says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 says, All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Revelation 4, 11, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Revelation 5, 13. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and sea, and they sang blessing and honor and glory and power to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Right now, all of creation is resounding honor and glory back to our Heavenly Father. Right now, in heaven, there are angels encircled around the throne of God, and they are proclaiming His glory and honor 24 
24-7 around the clock. And one day, for those of us that have placed our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, when, when our time on earth is over and we get to go to heaven to spend eternity with him, we will get to join in that chorus of angels, joining with all of the creation as we worship and give glory and honor to our creator. That is where honor starts, is that it's something that we give to God. And then the, the Bible breaks it down and, and shows us in some different instances exactly what that looks like, though honor played out in our everyday lives. And, and Mark 5 is one of those instances. And so for the rest of our time today, we're going to take a look at five different characters from Mark 5 that help us understand different aspects of honor. And I don't have time to read all the, the verse, all 43 verses of this chapter. Some of you are like, thank goodness. <laughs> so we're just going to pull bits and pieces of it. I'm going to do my best to connect the dots. But I would encourage you to go back and for the full context to spend some time reading Mark chapter 5 in its entirety. And then also you'll find a parallel to Mark chapter 5 in um, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 8. There's also a parallel that runs um, alongside that. And, and these both of these passages, they focus largely on Three miracles, which are all types of healing that take place. Three miracles that take place. And, and so the, the first character, if you're writing this down or, or taking notes, we're, we're going to look at, um, in these different characters, we're going to talk about who the character is. We're going to talk about their classification, their condition, and then the catalyst for honor in their situation. And so the first character that we will look at is Jesus. And his classification is that he's Lord. His condition is that he is divine, that while he is 100% man in the passage that we're going to be reading, he is also 100% God. And the catalyst for honor in every single situation that, that Jesus is a part of, because he is the central character of this passage, of these stories, the catalyst for honor is that at every turn he gives people access to himself. He gives people access to himself. Jesus is, as we will see, he is the epitome of honor. And in each one of these scenarios, Jesus proves over and over again that he is in complete control of the situation. He is the one who is worthy to receive all of the honor. It is all due to him. But you and I, we are going to find out very quickly how he also gives away that honor to these people that he comes in contact with. And so the question then, as we start here this morning, is that knowing that we would all like to be honored, the question is, are we willing to give honor away in the same way that Jesus did? Because in each of these passages, in, each, in, in the lives of each of these people that we're getting ready to read about and talk about, all of them had different needs. All of them had a little bit of a different situation. But Jesus ministered individually and specifically to each one. He didn't take a cookie-cutter approach. And what we'll see is that, that when Jesus, when he acts honorably in these situations, and we, when he extends honor to these people... He's also met with dishonor from others that are around him, from people in the crowd, or in one instance, even his own disciples. 
But what we're going to see is that Jesus didn't show honor simply by what he does for each of the people, but also by how he treats them. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, it says this. It says, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I will honor those who honor me. And I will despise those who think lightly of me. And in each one of these instances, the Lord honors those who show him honor. And it reveals to us some characteristics of honor. First is that honor is not something that we should seek for ourselves, but rather something that we should seek to give away. And we do that in three primary directions. We give away honor up, we give away honor down, and we give away honor sideways. Honor is not gained by demanding it for oneself, but by giving one's self away to others. And this value of honor, this concept of honor, it's directly related to another one of our values, the value of generosity. We say that generosity is our identity. We'll be talking about that here in a few weeks, but honor is something that we generously give to those around us up down, and sideways. And remember, honor, as we're going to see, it always lifts up. It always raises up. It always elevates something to a higher level. So it starts with Jesus, and then we're going to see how he gives it away in each of these four instances, beginning with Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, where we learn about the Gerasene demoniac. And his classification is that he was a lunatic. Talk more about that in just a second. His condition is that he's demon-possessed, but the catalyst is Jesus' anticipation towards this man. So picking up Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and can no longer be restrained even with a chain whenever he was put into chains and shackles as he often was he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles and no one was strong enough to subdue him day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills howling and cutting himself with sharp stones when jesus was still some distance away the man saw him ran to meet him and bowed low before him with a shriek he screamed Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now, when when we meet this guy, this this demoniac of the Gerasenes, we, we see that very clearly, like, dude is, he's a lunatic. The Bible even says that he's hanging out in a graveyard, cutting himself, howling at the moon, right? Like, imagine if you went down the street here to the graveyard, And there was some guy there cutting himself and howling at the moon. What would we all say? We would say, that guy's crazy, right? That's what we would say. And so this guy, as we're introduced to him, he is a lunatic. And a lunatic is someone who we would define by being crazy or we would define them by being reckless or out of control. We we know by reading about him that that he is beyond control. They try to chain him down. They try to put shackles on him. they, They try to subdue him. And at every turn, he's able to overcome their efforts. And what this man is is largely marked by is he he makes a lot of poor decisions. Now, that that as we we know and as we learn, they're influenced 
by the demonic possession in his life, but he makes poor decisions which have led him to the place that he is at. He's in a graveyard, and he's cutting himself, and he's howling at the moon, and no one wants to be around him, and he's naked, and it's just a bad situation all the way around. And he is the kind of person that, that you and I, we would avoid at all costs, right? Like, he's the kind of person that if we saw him coming down the, down the sidewalk, we, we would cross to the other side of the street in order to avoid him. We all know people like that, right? Not only did Jesus not avoid this man, though, he went there specifically for this man. Like, that guy, he, that was the only reason that they got in the boat to cross the lake to be there, was for that man. And not only did Jesus go there specifically for him, but he was proactive to help meet his need before the man even asked. The Bible says that the man comes to Jesus, he bows down low, showing Jesus honor, and that Jesus, it says that he had already spoken to the Spirit to come out. He was already ministering to the man before the man even communicated his need. We later learned that it's not just one demonic spirit that's in the man, but he identifies himself as legion, and that it could be up to some 10,000 demonic spirits that Jesus actually cast out of the man and sends them into a herd of pigs that is nearby. And the pigs run off of a cliff and end up drowning themselves in the water. And the crowd that is there, they get all upset about the pigs, and they can't believe what has happened, and they're terrified at this instance that's taken place, and they see this man who used to be crazy five seconds ago, but like now he's sane and in his right mind and everything. And they look at Jesus, and they say, get away from us. See, other people aren't going to like it, Whenever you engage with someone like that. Other people aren't going to like it when you get a little too close to the lunatic. And you, you provide ministry to them. People are going to get uncomfortable and they're going to say, why are you talking to that person? Why are you hanging out with them? Why are you going to see them? Why are you doing that? That's not safe. It's not whatever. They're going to have this, this long laundry list of all of the reasons why you shouldn't be doing that. And it's going to make people in your life uncomfortable. They're going to look at you differently. They're going to say, mm, I might need to distance myself from that person. Think about it. You, when I say the word lunatic, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Everybody has, like, you got a picture in your mind of someone. If, if you don't have a picture of your mind, in your mind of someone, you are the lunatic. <laughs> so I'd be very careful. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 6.10. He says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. When you look up that word everyone in the original Greek, do you know what it means? It means everyone. And so that means that, that regardless, even though it's, it's people that we would, we would rather avoid, even though it's people that we know if we engage with them, that it's going to make other people around us uncomfortable and cause them to distance ourselves, that, that the Bible, we are given a command that we need to do good to everyone when we have the opportunity. And so when you're thinking of that lunatic, maybe it's a, maybe it's a family member, right? Maybe it is, maybe it's, it's, it's a, 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 one of your children. 
They're reckless and they're making bad decisions for themselves and, and they're beyond control. Or, or maybe kids, maybe for some of you, maybe it's, it's a parent. Maybe it's a spouse. No pointing fingers, no throwing elbows. Maybe it's a coworker, or it's a neighbor. And it's because they have a different political view than you do, or a different religious view than you do, or a different set of values than you do, or they live a different lifestyle than you do, or maybe it's an all-of-the-above, all-in kind of thing. And you're really struggling. The Bible calls us to minister to everyone when given the opportunity, to show honor to everyone when given the opportunity. So in this moment, Jesus, he didn't shy away from it. In fact, he anticipated what the man was going to need. And even before he asked, he was already working on meeting his need and ministering to him. And so the question is, is that are you going to show honor by anticipating how you can minister to others? And then be ready to do so when you are given the opportunity. That's the first way that we show honor. The second character is a guy by the name of Jairus. And his classification, as we're getting ready to learn, is that he was a leader. But his condition is that he was deficient. And the catalyst for honor is that Jesus takes action in his situation. Picking up in verse 21, it says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. So Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. See, despite all of his religious connections, despite all of the resources that he would have had available at his disposal, Jesus was the only one that could help Jairus in the situation that he was facing. And so Jairus comes as a leader of the synagogue, but he, he falls at the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but, but the, the religious authorities of the day and the people of the synagogue and everything, they didn't really, a good southern term, they didn't jee-haw with Jesus. So, like, this would have been a thing that, like, technically, like, as a person in charge, a leader, authority, like, this would have been a very weird thing for him to do out in public in front of Jesus. And, 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 and technically, from a, a religious authority standpoint, like, yes, Jesus was 100% God, but the people in the mix right now, they didn't realize that, so they just saw him as this 100% human person. He would have been subject to the authority of this man, Jairus, if you really think about the hierarchy of things. And so you have this synagogue leader, and he's coming, and he is kneeling low. He is bowing low, falling at the feet of Jesus, because he knows that Jesus is the only thing that can help. He's deficient. And all of his other capacities, there's no one else, there's no other, no other church member, there's no other thing, there's no other ritual, there's no other whatever. It's only Jesus that can help. And so what does Jesus do? He takes action. He says he went with him straight away. No questions asked. Jesus just, okay, let's go. And this shows the humility of Jesus in terms of showing honor. 
leads to the question of how do do we respond to our leaders when they ask something of us? One of the things that I love about our team here at Christ Walk, our staff, our council, our elders, many of our volunteers and members, you guys have done just a great job of creating what I like to refer to as a yes culture. It's a culture of honor. It's all all revolves around the word yes, that that do not hear what I'm not saying. It's not a bunch of yes men and yes women. There are plenty, plenty of pushback going on around here and like wrestling with things and figuring it out. But but when 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 the rubber hits the road, it's it's yes. It's what's the mission, what's the vision, what's the direction, what's the decision, what do we need, Pastor? Where are we going? What are we doing? Yes, I can do that. Yes, I'm with you. Yes, I'm in support. Yes. We may disagree behind closed doors, but when the decision is made after the discussion and we come out of that room, we are a united front, and it's yes, we're moving in this direction. It's, it's yes at every turn because we are about the value, we're about the mission, we're about the vision of the house. The Bible says that in this moment, that when Jesus said, this is what we're doing, we're going to Jairus' house, says that the people crowded around him. Whereas before, on the other side of the lake, they said, get away from us, and they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Now, they're showing dishonor because they're pressing in on him so closely. In other words, the people got in Jesus' way. The question is, when it comes to honor, are you in the way of the mission? Are you in the way of your leadership? the direction that they're trying to go, the thing that God has led them to? When it comes to your family, are you standing in the way of what God wants to do in and through your family, in and through your marriage, in and through your relationship with your kids? When it comes to your church, are are you standing in the way of what God is trying to accomplish through that house and through the leaders there and through the ministries there? When it comes to your job, are, are you so bowed up and, and angry against your, your, your boss all the time that, that you're standing in the way of the progress that could happen and the blessings that could be bestowed on you in the process? When it, what about your community? Are, are you standing in the way of what God wants to do, the revival, the spiritual awakening that he wants to bring to your community, the, the difference that he wants to use you to make in the hearts and lives of those around you? When it, when it comes to just just you as a person, individually, are you standing in the way of what God wants to do in your life? Are you in the way of the mission? Paul writes in Romans 13, 1, he says, everyone must submit to governing authorities. This isn't a suggestion. It's a command. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So the question is, are you willing to submit to the leadership that has been placed over you or do you just want to stand around and be in the way? Because you can't have it both ways. So we got to decide. Got to decide where we stand. We've looked at the character of Jesus. We've looked at the character of the Gerasene demoniac. We've looked at the character of Jairus. Now we come to our fourth out of five characters. The woman with the issue of blood. 
Her classification is that she was lowly. Her condition is that she was distressed. The catalyst for honor in her situation was Jesus' awareness. Picking up in verse 25 of Mark 5, we read, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she'd spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Think about it. For 12 years, because of her condition, she'd been overlooked. She'd been taken advantage of by all the doctors that she'd been through that promised that they could help her, but then they just took her money and cast her to the side. Even Jesus' own disciples overlooked this woman because he said, somebody in the crowd touched me, and they said, what do you mean someone touched you? Even those closest to Jesus missed out on the fact that there was someone directly there that needed ministry from Jesus. But in that moment, Jesus saw her. In that moment, Jesus was aware of her. See, the truth is, is that, that everybody that we come in contact with, they're fighting a battle that we know nothing about. And people are desperate for someone, anyone, to just see them, to just be aware of them. And in this moment, that's what Jesus was for her. He was aware, and for the first time in 12 years, someone had actually noticed Despite the fact that she showed him honor by coming from behind. She was discreet. She, she was humble. It says that, that she reached out to grab the, the hem of his robe. It would have been all the way at the bottom. She wasn't trying to be noticed. Later, it says that trembling, she fell to her knees in front of Jesus to confess what she had done. She shows him honor. And he lifts her up. Matthew 25, verse 40, it says, And the king, speaking of Jesus, will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it, provided ministry, when you provided ministry to one of the least of these, speaking of those who are hungry or thirsty, those who are strangers, they're naked, they're sick, they're imprisoned, etc. When you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. See, here's the truth about honor. Often, honor is inconvenient. It's inconvenient. See, Jesus and the disciples and the rest of the crowd, they had every right to be upset. Because of this woman's condition, she was, according to Jewish law, she was ceremonially unclean. And so that meant that anything she touched would have become ceremonially unclean. And so that meant that, that in that moment, because in her condition, she reached out to touch Jesus, that meant that he would have been ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean and unable to go to Jairus' house to finish the mission that he had started out on because he would have had to separate himself from the situation. They could have been upset with her. She could have created a major hassle for everyone. Jesus was, was inconvenienced because he was on his way for something else, something very important 
but he had to stop and he had to, to deal with her. Jairus was inconvenient. Lady, what are you doing? My daughter is about to die. Get out of the way, right? It's inconveniencing when it comes to honor. I recently experienced something like this a few weeks ago. I was going to the gas station um, to grab something on my way to the office. I had several meetings that day. I was busy. When I got to the gas station, there was a guy sitting out front on the curb. looked like every belonging that he had was in a small little backpack. It was clear that he hadn't had a shower in quite some time. And so I did what any pastor of a life-giving Christian church would do. I just walked right by him on the way into the gas station. I know you're so proud to attend Christ Church. And so I'm in there, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting you know, the thing, and I'm at the, at the checkout, and I'm, I'm waiting in line. And I'm wrestling with God and saying, you know everything that I've got on my schedule, and I'm trying to justify this, and I've got this meeting, and I'd have to move this, and I'd have to change this and everything. And so I pay, and I go out, and I'm headed to my truck, and thankfully, he wasn't looking in my direction, so we didn't have to make eye contact and make it weird, and so I just walk on by him to his truck. I got to where I put my handle on the door, getting ready to open it. Dang it. <laughs> and so I turned around, and when I turned around, he was looking at me like, like I had puppy dog eyes, you know. So I walked over to him and started to ask him what's going on. And it turns out that he's had some trouble. He just got out of jail. He's kind of making his way, trying to get to some family in North Carolina needs to get to the bus station in Jacksonville, needs help with a bus ticket, et cetera, et cetera. This is a guy that I don't know him. Made me a little bit uncomfortable, if I'm being honest. Didn't know that if it was, like, the wisest decision for me to just, you know, throw him up in my truck and, you know, off we go or whatever. So I did what you would all expect me to do. I called one of you. <laughs> Some of you, there's a guy by the name of Paul. Um, who attends here, he serves on uh, our security team, and I called him, and I said, hey, man, what you got going on today? And he was like, nothing. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> now you do. And I explained the situation to him, and he was like, okay. And so we connect, and we go, and we get this guy, and get him to the bus station and everything. And now the day's all out of whack. Meetings have been canceled. They've been moved. Just wasn't the way that either of us were thinking we were going to spend our day. So we dropped this guy off at the bus station and get him settled and everything and get back in the truck. And Paul looks at me and he goes, we've already come this far. Might as well just go to Bucky's in St. Augustine. <laughs> See, when you give honor, you will be shown honor. But the question is, is are we willing to inconvenience ourselves to minister to someone else, to show them honor? Jesus, the Gerasene demoniac, Jairus, the woman with the issue of blood, finally, Jairus' daughter, the last character in our story. Her classification is that she was little. 
In fact, Jesus refers to her as little girl or little lamb. Her condition, she was dead. The catalyst for honor is that Jesus exercised authority. Picking up in verse 38, it says, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. So he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. See, the crowd, they dishonored with their disbelief. Jesus said, she's only sleeping. They laughed at him. They said, what do you mean, man? She's dead. The world is laughing in unbelief at our children, at the next generation. They, they are a generation that has been written off. They are a generation that has been marked by death. Think about the two primary issues that we are facing right now in our country. Abortion, a generation marked by death, and the LGBTQ movement, which is causing suicides like crazy. A generation marked by death. Parents have just given up. They've just given up. They're seeking to pacify their children and then pass them off on other people to take care of. And, and this is a generation that the devil has claimed for himself. But here's what Matthew chapter 18, verse 5, what Jesus says. He says, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. And so you need to know that Christ Walk Church, we are going to be a church that chooses to honor the next generation. Locally, through efforts with our kingdom builders, like, like our partner, Southside Elementary School, who we're going to be um, collecting, the most recent project is we're going to be collecting goods to go into Thanksgiving baskets to provide Thanksgiving meals for kids and families that otherwise wouldn't have one. We're going to continue to make investments in organizations around the globe, like our partnership with One Hope, who has a plan in place to reach every single child 18 years of age and under with the message of the gospel around the world by the year 2033. In just a few weeks, you're going to hear from um, our, our partner in Ecuador, Gary Pate, and his wife, Dina. They'll be here with us in a, in a couple weeks about the work that they're doing there in their backyard Bible clubs in the mountains and in the coastal village and, and the church that they've now planted in, on, on the coast in this, this surfing village and the hundreds and thousands of people that they're ministering to over the course of, of each week. We're going to continue to do that, that stuff here within the four walls of this church with our kids and our youth teams. And all the work that Sarah has done in the interim and and, and Ashley along with her and, and, and their team and, and our, our youth team that, that's remained faithful and through the, through the efforts of Pastor Trevor and helping to keep that going and everything. And we just hired a family ministries pastor because we believe in the next generation and that's something that we deeply value and that we want to show honor to. See, in, in that moment, Jesus saw her 
laying there where everyone else, they came and they bowed low before Jesus. Well, she was already laying there. She was as humble as she could have been in the most desperate situation of all of them. But he didn't see her in light of her current situation. Jesus saw her in light of the future that he had in store for her. And he took her by the hand and he said, death is not for you right now. Little girl, you need to stand up. And she got up. I'm seeing this play out before my eyes. Talking about lifting up the next generation in a relationship that I'm seeing develop between my mom and dad and five brothers in one family at our home church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. My mom and dad, they're, they're incredible grandparents to Luke and Avery. And I've seen them become like grandparents to these five little boys who have a difficult home life. Mom and dad are divorced. They don't really have much interaction with their biological grandparents. And my parents have, have reached out to this family and have, uh, along with some other people in the church, just really been making an investment in them in a number of capacities. This past week, my dad, he sent me a video of himself. He's got the youngest little boy on his lap and the other four are gathered around him at their kitchen table and he's playing them a video on his phone. And they're, they're talking and, and, and interacting and asking questions and everything. And, um, and, and they're like, my dad is like, he's fully engaged and those boys are fully engaged. And I, I asked him if I, if I could just share this story and, and, and I asked him as a part of that, I said, dad, what, what do these, what do these boys call you? And he said, well, most of the time, they call me Terry. But here recently, some of them have started calling me Papa, which is what Luke and Avery call him. See, when we show honor, we can change someone's destiny. Jesus showed that little girl honor where everyone else had written her off and said, your destiny is death. That's all that you got. And he said, no, I'm going to show you honor. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to raise you up to something else. When we choose to show honor, destinies can be changed. Now these little boys, that they didn't have grandparents. Now they've got a nana and a papa that have stepped in to show them what being a real grandparent's all about. And destinies are being changed as a result of someone's simple act of choosing to show honor. See, I, I love this quote from, from Ken Clater, Pastor Ken Clater. He says, when you honor what God honors, God will honor you. When you honor what God honors, God will honor you. When we extend honor to other people, it comes back to us. When we honor them, God will always honor us. So as we close this morning, I, I invite you to take a personal inventory. If we say that honor is our calling, how are you doing with embracing that calling in your life? And if you were to listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit today, in what area do you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit directing you to level up your honor? Is it toward the lunatics in your life? Toward anticipating and being ready to meet the needs of the reckless and out of control that may cross your path from time to time? 
Is it the leaders in your life that you need to, to work to create a yes culture and to come alongside and help fulfill the mission rather than just stand in the way? Is it the lowly? Is it that maybe you need to pay a little bit more attention to those that others have overlooked and be willing to inconvenience yourself in order to minister to them? Is it the little? Are you showing honor to the next generation and making an investment in them so that they can realize the future that God has for them? There's somebody in this room that needs to step up and serve in children's ministry. There's somebody in this room, there's some bodies in this room that need to step up and serve on Wednesday nights in our youth ministry. Because we want to honor the next generation. Is it the Lord? Is that where you need to show honor? Because that's where it starts. It starts by surrendering your life to Jesus and giving him the honor that he alone deserves with our thoughts, with our words, and with our actions. And when we choose to do that, when we choose to show him honor, he will honor us in return. If that's you here today watching with us online, you've never made that decision before to surrender your heart and life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life.